great well thanks for joining us again on this episode and uh, we will see you next time we are connecting america's heartland to the rest of the world the great lake it's not just about shipping it's a story about how we're constantly innovating how we move our products around the world cleveland is a port city we've always been a port city this is great lakes forward Welcome back to Great Lakes Forward. We are here again with President of Logistech Stevedoring Inc., Rodney Corrigan. Rodney, thanks for joining us again here in Montreal. We welcome you back. Thank you, Jade. Happy to be here. Let's pick up where we left off last episode. As we look at figuring out how to make the seaway more efficient, how to increase the efficiency that we know exists in maritime commerce, and also how do we better utilize some of our greatest natural resources, which is the St. Lawrence River and the Great Lakes. These are gifts that we have in this part of the world, and, and we definitely feel strongly about making sure we utilize them fully and properly and sustainably. Completely agree. We are blessed to have a system like the St. Lawrence and the Great Lakes, and it's it's upon us on both sides of the border to figure out the best way to utilize that asset. We, for one, and you mentioned a couple of things there that really resonate with us. We, we like to think that we're not just showing up tomorrow morning and we're going to unload a ship and go home. You know, we want to be, uh, we want to be recognized for the expertise that our people bring to the table every day. And we want to be the go-to partner when it comes to running terminals. And we invest heavily in our people. We invest heavily in the technology that we use to run our terminals every day so that we can turn the ships more quickly. We can turn the trucks more quickly. You know, truck drivers don't make money when they're sitting in the terminal for hours. They make money when they're rolling down the interstate. And, you know, it's on us to make sure that, that we have technology and processes, whether it be inventory systems, the gate systems, whatever, to make sure those, uh, those folks move in and out very quickly. And I think it's all about developing value-added packages for the customers. It's not just taking the material off a ship, putting it in the warehouse and waiting for them to come and pick it up. Everyone's working with just in time today. Sometimes they want you to relabel, repackage. They want you to sort it, whatever the customer needs. We need to create a port environment where we're allowing our folks to, to create that value for our customers because otherwise, why would they use the port? So, you know, we, we need to work at creating more value added. We need to make sure that our environment is safe. You know, we talk about here at Logistech, the, the health and safety of everyone that works for us is something that's incredibly important. It's one of our core values. Critical to operations. Absolutely. A safe operation is an efficient one. And I think everybody that comes to work needs to be in an environment where they know they're going to go home in the same shape they came in that morning. So we need to make sure that we have that safe environment. We need to make sure that we do everything in a timely way. And what we handle for our customers needs to be damage-free. They don't buy goods from Europe or Asia or wherever they're coming from and, and have them arrive damaged. We need to provide damage-free handling, needs to be reliable, and that's how our customers are going to stay with us. So it's on us to work with our labor in the ports and make sure we provide that. Because if we don't, the customer will find a way and they will go somewhere else. The customer is dynamic and customer needs are fluid. And it's one of the reasons we have been investing so heavily in our port to make sure that we're looking at improving gate access now. 
we've recently within the last three four years built a new warehouse for some of those transloading shipping sorting storage options and capabilities we're going to be enhancing everything from lighting inside some of our warehouses and, and things like that and many other ports are doing these things as well because you're right in order to have the value add, you need to be able to deliver what folks need. And as cargoes change, as size of cargoes change, as frequency, as direction of cargoes change, we need to be able to make sure we're working and creating the place that can handle that. One of the reasons we've been working on things like creating Ohio Maritime Assistance Fund at our state level and making sure that we have adequate investment from the state, but also in Washington, D.C., we're working on various things now in order to make sure those funds are available for infrastructure on land side issues as well at our ports so you can be successful in attracting and, and doing those kind of things. But something you brought up is the investment in people. What we're seeing, I know, on the American side is that people are becoming one of the greatest assets of, of companies. As again, especially when you start talking about some of your younger workers, your millennials and now your zennials that are coming out of college uh, over the next few years now, see their jobs as providing value, being a part of something bigger than themselves and not just a job, but a mission, a focus. Could you talk about Logistech's focus on people and talent within your company and where you guys are looking to go in that regard as well? Sure, I'd love to. I think when you look at labor, you got to look at it in two two buckets. You have what you know. You have what we would call your you know your operating staff, your local management, the superintendents, the people that run our operations, and then you have the labor that actually do the job, the physical labor on a day to day. And if you look specifically at our industry, you know some people will say it's a it's a little stoic, it's it's old, it's traditional, it's mature. Use whatever adjective you want to use. But in the Great Lakes, you know, a lot of the labor is through the ILA, the the International Longshoremen Association. And with a lot of our competitors, other stevedoring companies that are that are out there, sometimes that relationship is confrontational at best. And you know, I for one and you know, I've been at this for a while now. I'm in my 29th year on the waterfront. And I think that if our industry is going to continue to flourish, we got to find a way to work hand in hand with the unionized labor and modernize union labor relations on the waterfront. And the key to that, the key I think to that phrase is relations. If we're not talking and we're not trying to grow together and we're not trying to find solutions and we're not training and we're not doing whatever, there is no relation. From our perspective, that is something that we really need to uh, improve as we go forward. I, for one, have a tremendous amount of respect for the men and women that come to work every day and go out and work on the docks. You know, they do, they work in the elements, whether it's, you know, raining, snowing, really hot, really cold, doesn't matter, they're there. So, you know, I tip my hat to them. And it's on us to make sure that we give them the right resources, the tools, the training, what they need to do their job. But then they need to work with us as well so that we can try to attract more business to create even more jobs for them. So there's a lot of effort that needs to be done on, on that front. Then when I look at what I would call our operating staff, whether that's you know local management, superintendents, or even the shared services back office at head office, 
you know, we need to make sure that we create an environment for our folks where we're, we're training them, giving them the tools, investing in a path forward for them so that they understand, all right, today I'm doing job X, but this is going to lead me to Y, which will lead me to Z or Z, depending on which side of the border you're on, and provide them with the proper training. And I think that's what's different today because... You know, when we started in the business 25 years ago, you came in, you put your head down, you did your job, and end of, end of story, right? The, the youngsters today that are coming out of university and the millennials, social responsibility and involvement in the community and wanting to be part of a greater mission is completely different. So, you know, we need to adapt to that. And when I look at our superintendents, you know, the superintendents that work out on the vessels and, and work hand-in-hand hand with, with labor they're they're the hinge that pulls it all together. I often say that that the the superintendent is the front line and the front line is the bottom line. We need to give those men and women that that work in those roles all the tools, all the training, all the competencies to go out there and put into action what it is we want them to do on a day-to-day basis. And that's where in in the last couple of years and going forward, that's where we're going to be putting a lot of our effort is to improve those two buckets. You know, hopefully that will continue to lead to, to more growth and, and, and make sure that we're doing the right thing for our customers. We, li- we like to talk a lot about creating stickiness for our customers. Customers have a choice. Like, we need to create an environment where they feel that when they give us their cargo, it's going to be well handled. Yeah, this is a very competitive industry. There's lots of options. There's lots of ports. There are, you know, cross-border jurisdictional issues with, you know, tax collections and clearing customs, all these kind of things. So, again, talent is going to be at the front door of that. Um, having the person that is handling the web inquiry when it, when it comes through, being fully up-to-date or up-to-speed on what it is that you guys do from the person that's handling the crane to actually taking the cargo off the ship or putting it on the ship. All those phases are going to be critical for you guys and us, us as well. We undergo the same kinds of thought processes and as far as workforce and the development of our workforce now, but also into the future. So however this uh, podcast is labeled 10, 20 years from now, it's still able to be what it needs to be at that point. Another advantage that be that would be worth uh, pointing out is the fact that the relationship between the Port of Cleveland and ourselves is a binational one. I mentioned earlier that Cleveland is our first uh, cargo operations on the U.S. side of the Great Lakes. Um, until now, our, our focus has really been uh, on the Canadian side. And as you had mentioned earlier, Jade, the uh, Port of Montreal is, is the, the front door to the Great Lakes. And... Uh, and the Port of Montreal is an area where we are very strong. Uh, we handle a lot of cargo here. We also have uh, one of the one of the main container terminals here in the port. And I think that that uh, in itself creates an advantage and could lead to some oppor- opportunities, whether it be um, uh, short sea shipping on the Great Lakes, um, access uh, for uh, shippers out of the uh, the North Coast Cleveland area. Uh, to the Port of Montreal and the carriers that are calling out of here. Uh, I think that's an area that we uh, haven't really started to uh, to explore, or at, or at the very least, we're just scratching the surface. And um, I think that's something that uh, both ourselves, uh, along with the, the executive team at the port, that we can uh, try to grow together. And that's a definite advantage to the uh, car- cargo owners that are in 
in the area of Cleveland. It's interesting you mentioned North Coast. I mean, that's sort of been a tagline that we are developing and taking ownership here at the Port of Cleveland of making people understand that the Great Lakes is the North Coast, especially on the American side. It's the North Coast. It's, it's an opportunity for us to be able to use it just like we use our Gulf Coast, East Coast, West Coast. This is the North Coast in America. The development of this kind of trade, uh, as you talked about, um, so the short sea options, the opportunities of working with um, a terminal operator that's so embedded in the large international container trades and bulk trades here in Montreal, and also what that means for other ports and other opportunities for cargo handling at other ports adjacent to ours at the Port of Cleveland that are within the Great Lakes. We think, again, it can lift everyone. Uh, it can lift not only uh, us at the Port of Cleveland, but other opportunities. Because what we want to see is continue to just have more and more growth, to grow more and more efficiency. What we do know is more and more growth will grow jobs, land side as well. And that's going to be critical. And those jobs, again, grow more and more demand for cargo. No, I absolutely agree. And I don't want to sound argumentative, but from our perspective, Cleveland is the South Coast. So uh, <laughs> all kidding aside, I, I agree with what you said. You know, I think so far we've we've talked a lot about cargo. You know, another part of our business I mentioned uh, at the beginning of the, of the podcast was our, our agency business. And we do an awful lot of cruise vessels on the, the St. Lawrence system up into the Saguenay as well as down in Atlantic Canada. And, you know, one of the things that we are working on right now to try and grow with a lot of our principles is cruise in and out of the Great Lakes. I know there are some cruise ships that are calling Cleveland right now, but I think as we look forward into the, the, the crystal ball, that cruise environment in five, 10 years is going to look a lot different than it looks today. I think that's a really interesting market for us as well. One that we're working hard to try and grow and uh, one that I'm convinced will grow in Cleveland. Yeah, we are, uh, and it's interesting you mentioned cruising. Uh, we started off with the first cruise ship to, to come to Cleveland in, in probably 50 years, three years ago, and we had four cruise ship calls. Last year we had about 16, and this year we had 30. The growth in that business that we've just seen over the last three years has necessitated that we build a cruise ship terminal there at the Port of Cleveland, which will be done this winter and ready for the first cruise ships next spring to come into Cleveland. And what we also have seen is that the stop in Cleveland is one of the most popular stops from all the surveys and the cruise ship companies that tell us. Part of that is what our local Chamber of Commerce and our Visitors Bureau to Destination Cleveland has been able to do in order to streamline the process of getting cruise ship passengers into the city. But um, again, with you guys' expertise and with you guys' background in it, we look forward to continuing to grow that business with Logistech as well. And I think other Great Lakes ports are also going to be taken, are also really interested in the cruise ship destinations. Many of the companies, from what we've heard, have have seen the Great Lakes as an untapped resource. There's a lot of great places to go, a lot of big metro areas, but a lot of small islands, a lot of small towns that are the kind of postcard places that people are, are very much want to see. And so we look forward to that as well. 2020 and beyond, okay? We're going to load a stack, Port of Cleveland, here on the North Coast, 
or the South Coast for our Canadian friends who are listening. What does that look like for you guys? What would you like to see 2020 and beyond? Specifically with how it relates to the Port of Cleveland, all of our focus is on continuing to grow the business. We want to diversify the cargo base. We want to be in a position to offer more value add to the customers. Immediately think of uh, one Canadian steel producer who today is is moving his product by rail to various destinations through the U.S. You know, we're talking to them along with Dave Gutile from the port. Dave's our chief maritime officer. You know, we're talking to that account about let's use a water option to get it from Canadian origin down to the U.S. And then from there with the Omnitrax partner, how do we then distribute that to the final destination using rail through the U.S.? better supply chain for the customer, more employment for the workers in Cleveland, win-win. You know, we look at all the cargo that that comes into Cleveland, but then the seaway closes for three months. Well, with our network, let's work with our rail partners to identify a port location on the U.S. East Coast that could serve as the winter entry point into the U.S. and then rail the cargo to Cleveland. So we're trying to find ways that are maybe a little outside of the box to continue to grow the business. We want to continue to use technology and and introduce new innovative ways to handle the product, package them as a value add so that the customer is getting more bang for their buck, if I can call it that. You know, customers like simplicity, but they want reliability and accuracy even more. And I think that's where the use of technology and innovation will allow us to jump ahead of our competitors and and offer a better solution. You know, we are not averse to investing in the ports where we are. Madeleine likes to use the term smart investments. One of our core values is sustainability. And everyone always thinks that, oh, you have an environmental company, so you're sustainable. It's green. That's only part of the definition. The other part of that is about wanting to be in the ports where we are for the long term. We are not in the port game like an equity fund or an infrastructure bank who comes in for five or seven years, makes their money and gets out. That's not our approach. We enter into ports and we want to work with our local partners, work with the port authority, you know, the local shippers, receivers to build a sustainable business that's going to last for the long term. So that's, that's our approach. You know, our, our objective is to handle more cargo in Cleveland. There's, the, there's lots of space to do more business, whether it be bulk or break bulk at the, uh, the general cargo uh, terminal. And that means we need to invest in cranes or invest in additional rolling equipment to look at, you know, do we, how do we do different things with the port infrastructure together to make it a better mousetrap for the customers. Those are all things that we're ready to do. You know, and I think as we continue to, to work together, the, the Port Authority learns about different leads, different opportunities, and you learn about them maybe a different way than we would. So I think when we work together, whether that's making joint sales and marketing calls, uh, going to trade shows together, working on stakeholder management together, whether those are community initiatives, working with the railways or our labor partners, we're only going to achieve success by doing it together. And then, you know, when you start to look at the other things, you know, leveraging relationships with carriers, short sea shipping, how we communicate our communication plan to the external markets. Those are all things that we do together. We still think there's an opportunity to grow the steel base, whether that's structural, rebar, pipe coils. I mean, Cleveland's a big coil market. There are opportunities for fertilizers. I know you have Cargill right there in Cleveland, but there is an incredible amount of road salt that gets imported, and it's going into ports all around you. You know, maybe that's something we have to look at to try and bring into the port of Cleveland. 
You know, I mentioned barges and distribution from Canada. There's a lot of product that moves on barge. So how do we tap more into that? The non-ferrous side of the business, aluminum and copper. There's a tremendous amount of aluminum that comes from Canada that goes down into Ohio and, you know, south. To the Ohio River Valley. Exactly. That's coming in uh, a lot. Historically, a lot of it's come in through Toledo. But, you know, that could easily move through Cleveland as well. And then I look at what we do. You know, we like to play off of the success of our Toronto Raptors last year with We the North. But, you know, at Logistech, we like to think that We the Wind. And we handle an awful lot of windmill whether it be in, in Brownsville or Corpus Christi, Houston, Texas, up in Thunder Bay, Ontario, and other ports, there's some opportunity for Cleveland. And I think that's something that with the Port Authority that we can continue to build upon together and, and just to you know, diversify the cargo base and bring value to the customers. Well, it sounds like we have a lot of work to do. We also uh, share a lot of those same goals at our port individually. And as a Great Lakes port, growth is everything that, you know, we're trying to drive right now. Good, sustainable growth, environmentally and economically sustainable growth. And so we appreciate you taking the time out, Rodney. We know you're busy running a lot of day-to-day stuff here. Glad you invited us here to Montreal We appreciate that. I also want to give you an opportunity to talk about uh, your social media handles and uh, people can follow you guys and learn more about Logistech. Our website is Logistech.com. You can follow us. uh, We're on Twitter as well. We have a Facebook page. So we're we're easy to find when you just punch Logistech into into the search engine. I want to thank you very much for the time today and continued success at the Port of Cleveland. Well, we appreciate that. We are looking forward to the continued partnership, and uh, we're glad you're here. We're glad you're on the American side of Great Lakes now. Thanks again, Rodney, for coming back on to Great Lakes Forward. We look forward to continuing to work with you again. Thank you very much, Jade. It was great to be back, and it's always a pleasure to talk about our industry. So thank you. The State of the North Coast with Will Friedman. We're speaking about maritime logistics, environment, infrastructure, development finance on behalf of the North Coast. Well, we want to talk about making Cleveland and the Great Lakes St. Lawrence Seaway system more competitive. Uh, I know this is something that's near and dear to your heart uh, and what you do in leading the Port of Cleveland. Uh, as many of the I spend a lot of time in in our government affairs capacity here at the port working on these issues to try to make the seaway system in the Great Lakes more competitive in general. Talk a little bit about while the ports in the Great Lakes St. Lawrence Seaway may have some advantages over coastal ports. How can we make the seaway even more competitive when seeking out new cargoes, when looking at expanding cargoes or opportunities for economic development? Great question, great topic. Some might accuse me of occasionally ranting on this, and I'll try to try to avoid that. But but this is a topic that you know I have a lot of passion for. The starting point for me is that if the natural laws of shipping, if you will, applied, we would have a lot more cargo. We should have a larger market share from within our region, our state, and even the Midwest, moving through our port here and the other ports on the Great Lakes as well using the St. Lawrence Seaway as the access point in and out to the rest of the world. And the reason I think we have um, lagged, especially in the era of containerization, when more and more cargo is moved in those ubiquitous metal uh, 
shipping boxes we see everywhere, is that we have some practices and some policies and some regulations that have held us back, literally some, some barriers to trade. The seaway system closes down every winter, and that makes it difficult, especially for ship owners and operators, the carrier side, because then they're left with, what do we do with those ships for three months out of the year? The lock chambers themselves, which the ships enter into to go up and down throughout the system, are limited in size. In, in a lot of the larger ships that are you know in the trades today around the world can't fit in to the Great Lakes, and that's, that's a, a hindrance for us. And then we have some other costs, like pilotage, for example, I'll mention. When you come into the system, you have to have a pilot on board the ship, sometimes two pilots, depending on the time of the year. And that's been, those costs have been escalating. And I could tick off a few more reasons, but those are some things that we want to see reformed, we being ports, carriers, shippers, and and the users of, of the system. And we believe quite strongly that if we could reform those, if we could alleviate these non-market barriers, then we'd see more cargo flowing. So we work very hard advocating for those changes in Washington, D.C. and in Ottawa, the two places where federal capitals on either side of the border, where those decisions are ultimately going to be made, both on the executive side, executive branch side, as well as on the legislative lawmaking side. So we think there's a really, really bright future and a lot of upside, but we've got some work to do to essentially move from a mid-20th century way of thinking into the 21st century so that we can win back kind of the rightful cargo that should be moving through our ports. Focusing on those barriers, where did those start? Was it with the inception of the Seaway, or was it something that developed after that? Well, they did start when the Seaway opened, really, in 1959. And the locked chambers were built at that time, and even, even then, when ships were smaller, they were already too small, should have been built bigger. The decisions were made then to close the system for most of the winter from about Christmas or a little after Christmas time, maybe just after January 1st through mid to late March. And in those patterns sort of got locked in. And once agencies of the government establish practices, it's very hard for them. Inertia makes it very hard for them to kind of reverse their way out. So that's what we've been struggling with for for years now. You can point to other parts of the world where there are northern hemisphere, cold weather navigation systems, even with locks and dams as we have, and they're able to maintain navigation throughout most of the year and get maintenance done and deal with ice and the things that become issues for us. We understand that it isn't going to be easy. We know breaking ice, getting maintenance done on their locks, etc., will be challenging. We know it even will cost more money, but we think the return on that investment will be well worth it. If we can double trade conceivably through the seaway, then we believe that when you add up the benefits, sort of the GDP growth, if you will, on both sides of the border, it will more than justify some additional operating costs for the seaway systems. Now, Will, was the catalyst for creating the Great Lakes St. Lawrence Seaway containerization? Seaway was built before the age of containerization. And then, you know, it really opened in 19, it's called 1960, and containerization was just starting to come in. And, you know, by the mid-60s, it was catching on. And then by the early 70s, it became well-established. And we did have container carriers and 
services through about the mid-70s. And then they, when they started to kind of consolidate and concentrate into the big coastal ports, that's when they all pulled out of the Great Lakes. So they really didn't have containerization in mind. It was being built. It didn't really exist yet. And as soon as it started to get containerized, the carriers just, just decided, you know, they didn't know how to manage the seaway and the winter closure and all that. So in that vein of containerization and seaway winter closures, how can we disrupt the system here in the North Coast to make it better and improve it for everyone involved, both on the American side, the Canadian side, and for ports in general? The Cleveland Europe Express service, which we started, was a major disruptor. The intent was to show you can move containers in and out of the system, and you can have a scheduled service even if it's you know, essentially nine months out of the year. And we've done that. And I think we have surprised a lot of people by starting it and and maintaining it. But we got to go to the next level now. I think we need to ramp up the volumes. We need to win more customers. And then I think with commercial success, then we can apply more pressure more effectively on the government side and say, see, this does work. Because one of the arguments we've gotten uh, back, you know, sort of pushback, when we talk to government officials as well, it's sort of, you're not competitive. You know, we don't, you don't have the volume. And so then we say, well, we would have the volume. So it becomes this hypothetical conversation. And if we have commercial success, then we can use that to leverage government reforms. But it's been difficult because you're trying to make a case for something that is speculative. And, that, and that's um, challenging. You're right. Disruption, the Cleveland Europe Express, I think that's a very disruptive tool with showing not only shipper shipping companies and shippers, but other ports here in the Great Lakes and the northern part of the country that, you know, shipping direct all water route into the heartland of the country is is possible. It's viable and, and it's sustainable and it's something that we're growing here at the Port of Cleveland. But when you talk about disruption, which is something that in our external affairs here at the port we, we often tout because part of how we grow, how we survive and thrive as a port and as an entity in itself is to innovate and disrupt and grow from that from that disruption and innovation. So are there other things that you believe that could serve as that catalyst for innovation growth? Yeah, I think there there are other things. I mean, on the subject of coastal shipping, inland shipping, what's referred to as short sea shipping as opposed to crossing an ocean, there are enormous possibilities for us in in there's so much upside because there's so little of it on the Great Lakes and between U.S. metropolitan areas uh, where you know you you can serve them by water. Most American citizens don't know that because they've never seen anything else but if you go to Europe and you stand on one of their navigable rivers or along you know the coastline of really any any country in Europe you'll see so much more cargo moving by water than you would here. And it's the same in Asia, too. That's something that I think we really want to champion. And we think there's a number of different routings and permutations from across Lake Ferry, from Cleveland to the other side of Lake Erie to Ontario, to services between Cleveland and places like Detroit and Chicago. These are all potentially quite viable. And if we're going to utilize our location here on Lake Erie to grow our economy. These are the things that we need to be pushing for. And again, there are some policies, there's some governmental frameworks in place that have inhibited the growth of these services over the years. It's time for us to take a, a look at those. 
it's time for us to invite many other players in the maritime space to take a fresh look at the Great Lakes. Ship owners, carriers, companies that depend on waterborne transportation. What happened was that years ago, they may have analyzed utilizing the Great Lakes and St. Lawrence Seaway and decided it doesn't work, but a lot has changed. You look at the, the capital spending requirements at large coastal ports on their water side for dredging and deepening, on their terminals, on the inland side, the rail networks and the highways that connect to them, enormous sums of money that have to be raised. Why wouldn't we look at the Seaway and the Great Lakes, which don't require that kind of investment, which have capacity today, and you could utilize them right now? At some point, that set of facts is just going to win out. You know, we know that there'll be so much pressure on these already overutilized bottlenecks that, you know, that business is going gonna, is gonna to come our way. Now, it's not going to be the same type of service, smaller ships, because our locks are smaller, but that's okay. Then you can differentiate. One of the points we stress with ocean carriers when we talk to them is, yes, we understand scale. We know getting bigger and bigger and bigger is, is good in some respects, but you can differentiate. The problem with just getting bigger and bigger and bigger is that you're, all your competitors get bigger and bigger and bigger, and then you just sort of create a commodity. Everybody looks the same. Everybody operates the same. And the only way you compete is on price. And then they just start a downward spiral on rates. What we're saying is do something different that your competitors can't replicate, satisfies your customers, and you don't have to, you know, get in a race to the bottom on price. So, you know, at some point, somebody's going to have the courage at one of those companies to say, yeah, I want to try that. That sounds like it's a good business plan. Well, we, we've talked about how do we disrupt the system to improve it for everyone, but Let's just get down to the simple question that I think port directors from around the Great Lakes and here in the northern part of the country want to know. How do you open up the system to more cargo, to more users, and make it more efficient? Well, I'll I'll give you my recipe. This could be debated, of course, but to me it's about taking out the costs that are all imposed on the ship owners today and taking away the other friction points, as I call them, pediments, that when the ship owner, the ship operator, looks at the system, they decide, I'm going to opt out. I'm not going to come in. So to me, the common sense solution is, let's take those away. Let's look at each of those, and, and the primary ones are the length of the winter closure. It needs to be compressed. probably has to be some time when the system is down in the winter, but doesn't have to be three months. It could be, in my view, it could be a lot less. May require some ice breaking capability, but okay, that can be provided. The tolls on the system, which are now only on the Canadian side, the U.S. side doesn't charge tolls anymore. Let's take away the tolls. This, this shouldn't be a toll road. It should be an open, free highway, just like the highways we drive on. Let's look at pilotage. The pilots, in my opinion, we need pilots. We need them for safety, but they should be just provided by the government like air traffic control is provided in the airline industry. The ships should not have to pay for the pilots. If we flipped this whole model 180 degrees on its head and and we did all those things and others to make it as conducive and attractive as possible to the ships, well, then a lot more cargo would flow. And then we'd see the benefits. Then we'd see reduced transportation costs, which would then stimulate growth and 
export and import activity. And I believe we'd see a rise in, in GDP on both sides of the border. I think you'd see, especially in the Midwest, which is where we are and where many of the companies that import and export are located, as well as our farms, our agricultural heartland, a lot of our natural resources. If we made it easier for these ships to get in and out of the heartland, there'd be economic benefits that we could we could quantify. And it would, I think, overwhelm the cost of say, paying for pilots. There's probably about 50 pilots on the U.S. side. Total bill, I'm just going to use a round number to essentially make them public employees or government employees. Maybe it's $20 million a year. We all know in the grand scheme of things with our federal government and agencies like U.S. Department of Transportation, that's a rounding error. That's really not a number that's all that material to the budget of the United States. But the benefits that you would then see from small change in how we do business could be really, really big, billions of dollars, I, I believe. And, and to me, the Great Lakes states, and as well as some of the provinces in Canada that border the Great Lakes, are really kind of getting ripped off here. I mean, you know, we continue to kind of live with this approach to managing the system that is very much not in our interest. I, I appreciate that thorough backdrop of what we're really dealing with here. We do our best in order to compete in the competitive marketplace for cargo, and but more importantly, to foster economic development for our local communities. Each individual port probably has a similar mission focused around that. And so thinking about and really pursuing things that will improve port performance, will improve opportunities for ports, will improve opportunities to grow jobs and, and the lower transportation costs in general is going to be good for all of us. We will continue to work on that here at the Port of Cleveland. I know with other ports around uh, the North Coast as well. We are getting traction. I think people are beginning to see the potential. And there are many companies, many shippers who utilize the system today, and they know that it works and they know it is competitive. So this isn't a case of a system which can't compete. It does compete. It's competitive today. But in order to realize the full potential of the system, we need to modernize some of these management practices. And once that takes place, then you know we're going to see a real boom in this system. And I'm confident that we're moving toward that direction. Thank you, Will. We appreciate that insight. We want to sign off now from Montreal, Quebec, Canada. Thanks for listening to Great Lakes Forward. And uh, we will see you next time. The Great Lakes. In the center of North America are the Great Lakes. The Port of Cleveland is one of the largest ports on the Great Lakes. Over 20,000 jobs and $3.5 billion in annual economic activity are tied to roughly 13 million tons of cargo that move through Cleveland Harbor each year. The Port of Cleveland is the only local government agency whose sole mission is to spur job creation and economic vitality in Cuyahoga County and Northeast Ohio. The Port is the economic engine for the community, a key to Northeast Ohio's global competitiveness, and a crucial partner in building Cuyahoga County's future. Please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram at, at Port of Cleveland. And on LinkedIn, you can find us at our official name, which is the Cleveland Cuyahoga County Port Authority. Follow us there and also subscribe to this podcast. Technical support and audio production provided by Shark and Minnow. Great Lakes Forward is sponsored by Logistech, the terminal operator of the Port of Cleveland.